Anyone remember what our the name of our study is? This particular course. Christian growth. Christian growth. Okay. What's another another way of saying that? <clears throat> the ordinary means of grace, right? So, does anyone have a quick definition of ordinary means of grace? Take that as a no. It's okay. <laughs> you wanted to say? Sure. I Go ahead. Oh, wait. Uh, it's the kind of usual or ordinary ways that uh, God strengthens and nourishes us on Christ. Mm-hmm. The means that God has appointed for our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. So these means are appointed by God. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They point us to Christ. And they sustain us and nourish us in our union with Christ. So we've gone through um, two of the of the ordinary means. Um, does anybody remember what the two were? I know we've had like six lessons so far, but how have we only got through two of the ordinary means? Prayer and the Bible. Okay. In that order? Uh, right. Right. It's very important that um, the word come first in terms of uh, importance uh, in the ordinary means because it's by the word that we know how to pray. It's by the word that, uh, that uh, we know God. And if we don't know who God is, we can't properly pray to him. So, um, there's a Reformed theologian by the name of Gerhardus Voss, um, and he gave a rationale for the priority of the word over the sacraments when he wrote, If necessary, we can think of word as a means of grace without sacrament. But it's impossible to think of sacrament as a means of grace without word. The sacraments depend on Scripture, and the truth of Scripture speaks in and through them. So, um, what are all of the means of grace? We've already discussed the Word, discussed prayer, fellowship, okay? Um, so that would kind of be in the, uh, in the corporate prayer sense, right? And even in the corporate preaching of the Word, Right, so that's uh, that's kind of encompassed in the in the word and prayer. I would say also, even baptism and communion, those are to be enjoyed as a as a family gathering. Right, right, exactly. The you know it's not it's not normative for you to skip out on church and get some bread and some grape juice and share it with your family. It's, it, that's not the place for it. It's intended to be uh, in a corporate setting. Um, even baptism is, is intended to be in a corporate setting. So that brings us uh, to today's, which is baptism. Um, so baptism. Can anybody think of how baptism is a means of grace? <clears throat> 
Well, it's a means for us to do the first thing he's told us to do in obedience to him. To be baptized, if we right? don't do that, we won't do any, we won't do the second either. Mm-hmm. So we just said that that the sacraments, which are baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, um, are necessary or necessarily to be accompanied by the word, right? So when we go in to our service and uh, there's preaching and then we have the communion, we never just bring the plate out and pass it around, right? We always explain what's going on in that in that realm. And in the same way, that's how baptism should happen as well. Um, if you uh, remember the story about uh, Peter and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, not Peter, Philip. Philip, Philip yeah. Um, Philip was told to go over to this guy, and he heard him reading uh, Isaiah 53. And he ran up to him and said, hey, do you understand these things? And he said, how can I understand these things if somebody, do, if somebody doesn't explain them to me? And so from that scripture, from Isaiah 53... Philip explained everything that he needed to know about Jesus based on the Old Testament. And then that guy said, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? But it's always in response to the word. Okay. So um, you said that one of the, one of the things that it shows that it's, a, it's a, an obedience the first obedience to Christ. How else could it be an ordinary means of grace? What does it do? Think about when you've you've attended a baptism service. It's a picture of what's already happened to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, it's much like you know attending a, a wedding, where my wife and I have gone through that. Where where listening to them exchanging vows and it's a reminder to uh to me that you know we have done that we have exchanged those vows we are now uh joined together in holy matrimony and it's the same thing when we see when i see someone else baptized i remember my baptism Uh, even though i was very young and could could barely actually remember it Mm -hmm. i remember that that has that i have gone through the waters of baptism right and that what what the Lord is declaring to that person has been declared upon me as well because I've gone through those waters. Right. It's another form of worship. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, That actually brings us uh, way down my list. The Westminster Larger Catechism instructs us that when baptisms occur, we are to improve our own baptism. Wait a minute, that was years ago. How can we improve our own baptism? What it means by saying that is to remember that we are one with Christ, washed, set apart, and called to serve him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a means of grace because it reminds us of who we are and what God has done for us. 
Now, baptism doesn't save, but it points us to the grace of God and to the riches of God in Christ. So, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 91, says, How do the sacraments become effectual means of salvation? Think, ordinary means of grace, effectual means of salvation. And the answer is, the sacraments become effectual means of salvation, not from any virtue in them, or in him that does administer them, but only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive those sacraments. So, they're worthless if they're done improperly. Um, if, if they're not done rightly, then the baptism has, there's, there's no effect. You know, it's, it's not going to save you and if you really don't have faith, if you're you know, playing playing a game, so to speak, you know, playing church, then it's not going to have an effect in you. The, the effect in you is only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit. Then the Westminster Confession of Faith sums up biblical teaching on the significant significance of baptism and the Lord's Supper in this way. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. A sign and a seal. In the Old Testament, we have lots of signs and seals. <clears throat> the signs are visible, tangible reminders uh, that confirm God's promises to his people. Um, so think of, think of a sign or a seal that we might have today with regard to a covenant. I think Jeremy already mentioned it. Well, a wedding ring. Exactly. So it's a sign that I belong wholly to my wife. It's also a seal. It protects the fact that I belong to my wife because it's visible. People can see it. They know that I'm, I'm sanctified unto her, basically. Well, in the same way, God's covenant signs both confirm our identity as those who belong to God and they secure our membership in that covenant. To put it differently, covenant signs are sacraments. They both assure us and strengthen us in our relationship with God. Augustine put it this way, sacraments are visible signs of invisible grace. They are one way that God imparts his grace to strengthen us. Another one we see often is a rainbow. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And for, for those who don't know God, they it is a sign of, of grace, but also a sign of judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, and for you know, for us who believe, we can see a rainbow and be reminded of God's graciousness, His long suffering, His patience, that He will rescue us. And He will never again destroy the earth completely with water. Right.
So if we're thinking about signs and seals in, in, the, in the way that we have been in terms of, you know, wedding rings and things like that, um, they're, they're definitely signs and seals, but God's sacraments are much deeper. They actually strengthen us to be faithful in our commitment to God. They help us to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, they don't work by themselves alone. Like we said, you know, if you're being baptized, you're being dunked, but you don't have faith, that is that is worthless. And they they don't work in some magical way. No, they must be accompanied by the Word and the Spirit. They are effective only. Um, when combined with faith. But when they are received and administered properly, they are a very important means of spiritual vitality and growth. Okay, so what is baptism? You've, you've already started us on that road. It is uh, a symbolic act of obedience to Christ, in following Christ. What do we think about when we think about baptism and tying that with Christ, scripturally speaking? His death, burial, and resurrection. Hmm? That's right. So, um, how many baptisms did Christ go through? How many what? Baptisms. Did Christ go through? It's a trick question. One. No. No, he went on the cross too. The cross. Oh. Yeah, that was that was a baptism, right? Okay. So uh, someone pull out First uh, Peter, chapter three. Uh, someone else pull out Matthew twenty-eight. And someone else pull out Colossians 2. And someone else pull out 1 Corinthians 10. Okay, who has Matthew 28? 28. Uh-huh. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Did you say 13 through 20? 18 through 20, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they mm -hmm. worshipped him. Uh, no, Matthew 28. Well, oh, she just signed at 16. Keep oh, going. is that just what it was? Just keep going, Gigi. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> okay. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came mm -hmm. up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. So baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But there's something else tied with that, right? And that is teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. So there's there's kind of this uh, two-step process. You hear the gospel, you're convicted of, of your own sin and your need for a savior. And um, you're told about his baptism, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then to be baptized into that, that faith. Um, and it's it's a command from from Jesus Himself to be baptized in the in the same way that He was baptized. And lest you think I'm being uh, uh, a little over the top, um, I am talking about both of His baptisms that we are to be. Um, We are to imitate his baptism in the Jordan, but we're also to imitate his baptism in his death, burial, and resurrection. The, his baptism at the Jordan, when did that occur? Do we remember? How old was he? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's not just coincidental that he was 30 when he began his ministry. He began his ministry at the time that the Old Testament priests began their ministry when they were 30 years of age. This is in regard to the Co- the, the Kohathite clan of the Levites. Um, they were told that when they became 30, that's when they were to start their ministry. And how did they start their ministry? They were sanctified. They were washed. So, it's a picture of him coming to earth, not because he needed cleansing from sin, right? Because he had no sin. But to fulfill all righteousness, meaning this is when I'm starting my ministry. This is, this is the definitive point where my ministry begins. And this baptism is going to and in a different kind of baptism. Okay, so who has 1 Peter 3? What were the verses? Uh, that would be 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went proclaiming the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal up to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, 
with angels, authorities, and powers having been uh, subjected to him. We just heard something about Noah? We're going all the way back to Genesis here in terms of baptism? So is baptism something that is new to just the New Testament believers? No, they had, they had a, an understanding of baptism, the Israelites. And you know, it began with Noah. The, the idea of, of going into water is a, an idea of death. And then the resurrection being brought up back from the water. And that's what happened with Noah. And here, Peter is relating um, Jesus' death in the flesh to what happened with Noah. That baptism, you were brought safely through the water. It corresponds to this. And baptism saves you. Huh? Are we saying that we believe in baptismal regeneration? Obviously not. No. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience, meaning, um, God, you've promised us. You've promised us that, that you will save us. And Christ is the one who did the work. And he's now in heaven with you. At the right hand of God. Okay. So then, uh, who has uh, Colossians 2? And we're looking at verses 9 through 14. So, so do, do you say that we are saved by baptism as well? No. When, when, I, when the scripture says that, it is not talking about you are saved when you are dunked and brought back up. You're saved before that. Okay? That is a picture of you uh, aligning yourself with Christ. And the reason that it's done in a corporate setting is because it has benefits not just for you. It has benefits for the entire congregation, seeing and remembering, and making your baptism better, basically, by remembering it. Um, uh, The, the physical act of being baptized doesn't save you because it's not that you've been washed by the water. No, you've been washed by the blood of Christ. And that was applied to your account when you were regenerated. Okay? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay, so Colossians 2, 9 through 14. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Wait a minute, we're talking about baptism. Why does it bring circumcision into this? Is it a part of sanctification? Because you take part of that, is that clean? It's your heart. You know, take it off. It's like you could wash it in the water. You could take all that dirt off. Surface and the back. Circumcision, you take part of flesh inside Mm -hmm. out. And if that has to me, it has to come to Mm -hmm. that. It's another sign. It it symbolizes what went on the heart. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, where do we first hear about circumcision? Abraham. Abraham, right. And when was Abraham circumcised? Was it before he believed or after he believed? After. It was after. That's right. So, it was an outward reminder of an inward reality. He had been circumcised, his heart had been circumcised. His, his body is now going to bear the reminder of that circumcision. Well, in this verse, it says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. How can you be circumcised without hands? You know, I mean, okay, maybe we could think of a robotic surgery, but that's, that's not what it's talking about. Um, it's talking about having been buried with Christ in baptism. So the circumcision is a picture of baptism. It's related from the Old Testament as the circumcision, as the sign and seal. Now that sign and seal is baptism. And it's, it's such a picture of being buried with Christ that not only did you die with Christ when he died on the cross, that's why you're immersed, and then you are raised to newness of life as he was. Okay. Um, who has 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4? For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Moses was baptized? Can anybody explain to me how Moses was baptized? There's two. Uh, looks like Pardon the, say the Red Sea and then maybe Sinai. Well, um, actually go backwards from there. When he was put in a basket. That's right. Uh, when he was put in a basket and put into the Nile, effectively to die. 
but miraculously he was saved. He was pulled out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, right? So that was his first baptism. His, his next baptism would have been at the Red Sea, where um, the water, it's going to kill some people, because, man, it's rushing. Not Russian. It's rushing. <laughs> Take that pain. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Russian water is worst water. <laughs> <laughs> but even that was a picture of what was going to happen with Christ. Okay, anybody have any other thoughts about what baptism is? Let's say um, other verses that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Right. So that would then mean that how many times does it happen normally? It would only happen once, right? Yeah. In in the life of a believer, the circumcision, the physical circumcision or the physical baptism would only occur once. And it's something that you look back toward and you look when other people are being baptized, it reminds you of your baptism. And it reminds you, you belong completely from head to toe. You belong to Christ. What's the, what's the, uh, the Heidelberg, the first question? What is, your only com- what is your only comfort in life and death? And I'm not my own, but belong. Courtney knows it better than I do, but the the basic gist of it that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. Right. So when we witness a baptism and we think about our own baptism, um, we remember our baptism. It imparts some spiritual benefit to us. And that brings us to our next point. Can I bring up one? Yeah, of course. Go. So how do you guys read Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Mm-hmm. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let's, let's look back a little bit further in that, in that section. Who is Peter talking to? Well, I think there was the disciples, and then he talked to the multitude. He's talking to the multitude of Jews at that point. And he was explaining to them that they were the ones responsible for crucifying Christ. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. So, what has happened? Peter is explaining the word of God. They 
are convicted of their sin and are now rightly concerned for their self, for their their souls because they killed the God of the universe what can we do repent the the act of being baptized that Peter's talking about is it, it, it seems like it's the same it's the one and same but the fact that they were um, contrite for their actions prior to indicates that they had already been brought from death to life by God. The the repentance and the baptism can only happen when you have been brought from death to life. It doesn't happen to dead people. It's only for those who have been made alive in Christ. And that's what it's picturing here. Okay, so now in, instead of saying be baptized so that you can be saved. No. It's be baptized because you have been saved. Okay. Okay. It's that reminder that it's an outward sign of an inward reality. Right. So we, you, we, could, we could accurately say that the thief on the cross was baptized. Yes. Though he did not have opportunity to physically be baptized, the inward, rea- inward reality was just as true. Right. It's just like in Romans 6. Um, say it. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, ba- we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that that baptize and that um, that the apostles were giving them was basically the same as repent. Because if we are baptized, he is basically choosing that we are baptized into Jesus. That happens when we repent. So that baptism very possibly was not talking about water baptism. That's... That's as possible. Far, I haven't really as, dug into it that far. And the reason why I would say that is because I think the issue is repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet we hold true, just like the example with the thief, that water immersion is not necessary to go to heaven. Right. And yet in that scripture, they are connected in saying that they are required together to go to heaven. And maybe that baptism there is not talking about water baptism. Maybe it's talking about baptism into Christ, which happens when you repent. Right. And so therefore, right. the, the conflict between water immersion needed or necessary for salvation mm-hmm. um, would be negated. So what uh, that, that reminds me of uh, John 3, uh, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the Spirit, being born of the Spirit, is, is the baptism that he's talking about, right? It, it, we're not talking about being born in a physical body. We're talking about being born spiritually, 
being brought from from death to life. So I, I would completely agree with you. Well, in that context, he also talks about uh, having living water to drink of. Not, and they're saying, Lord, give us this water that we may drink. And yeah. They didn't understand it from something physical. But he was talking about that spiritual reality when you're right. saves you from your sins. Right. So in Acts, most likely, Peter's talking about the same thing we're talking about. Common means of grace of baptism. He's talking about water baptism. Mm-hmm. He's talking about just like John the Baptist was baptizing people, it, it's a, it's, they were showing repentance of sin. They were, they were basically showing they, they wanted to trust God and to be forgiven for their sins by God. And so this is the idea of water baptism by immersion as a symbol to the person themselves who's going through it and to the onlookers mm-hmm. that this person has been buried with Christ and raised to a new life. He's, he's being reborn, she's being reborn by the Spirit. Yes. The water baptism is, someone said once, like putting on the uniform, like declaring that you have done this, that you have believed in Christ mm-hmm. to those who are watching and to yourself. That, and you, that means of grace and remember that the rest of your life people who see you on the street can't tell that that's happened to you but you know it's happened to you and the people who watched you know that it's happened to you and every time you watch somebody else you remember yep. that's happened to me I was baptized I because I believe so it's in that remembrance just like communion is a remembrance the Holy Spirit uses to Built in our hearts mm-hmm. to draw us closer to conform us to the image of His Son. It's a means of grace. It's a means of action by the Holy Spirit in our in our lives, in our hearts. So it's not necessary for salvation. Um, many many people say have not been baptized. <laughs> the thief on the cross is a classic right. example. Abraham was never baptized, right? Um, he was circumcised. He had the old symbol, right? right? He had the old testament symbol. Right. So again, couldn't tell. You saw Abram walking down the street, but he knew, mm-hmm. and the people who witnessed it knew. Right. And uh, that was, you know, his equivalent, if you will. Right. I would maybe like to suggest that, just historically speaking, that a lot of times, uh, whenever you see the apostles or the early church or even preaching they either were near bodies of water or had access to water out to went there I, I think in the early church whenever they're talking about repent and be baptized uh, I, th- I think it was a lot quicker process once people believed they probably got baptized yeah. in there because they wanted to because <laughs> they believed the message the Holy Spirit was moving them to obey and so they followed through and joined the church and you know, they added a lot of people to the early church very quickly and so you imagine they were probably preaching the gospel people were believing and then being baptized right. right then and there well I mean in that one verse that we read there were 3,000 people who yeah, believed and were added to their number so it, it's, it's a different scene than what we experience today we're a lot more formalized and mm-hmm. we set aside a time to do it and we may have various means of uh, water to use for that circumstance in our case we bring out a, a tub like 
contraption, but <laughs> I, 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 I've seen baptisms in rivers and stuff, but even then we'd have to set aside a time and go out and do it. But right. back in the early church, all these people are crowding towards that one location, hearing the message, and they're joining the church and they're being baptized. David, I'm not hearing well this morning, so if this has been mentioned, just stop me. Yeah, there is a scripture, I can't find it, that says Jesus came, to, he was baptized to identify with those he came to Absolutely. save. Has it been? Um, no. And he so, said that yet. since he did, why wouldn't we want to be right. baptized to identify right. with him? He was willing right. to be identified with us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know where that is. <laughs> I, it's probably in my notes somewhere, but I've got way more notes than what I'm actually saying. Well, if you saying, find it, so. please help me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then what does it really mean to remember your baptism? And um, let, me, let me help you out with that question. When Luther was tempted, it said that his conscience either whispered or shouted, remember your baptism. When Luther was tempted. So what kind of a benefit does our baptism have for us in, in regard to that context? It's to remember, for you to remember who you're identified with. And as Christ walked in, you know, that has a Sometimes we get baptized, we said, raised up the walking needs of life. Remember your baptism. Like if you're about to commit a sin or something like that, or commit a sin, when you look back on that, or you see someone else doing it, remember, wait a minute, I am being taken away from one thing to another. No matter of fact, even with that axe verse, in those days, they took baptism a lot more seriously than we did. Uh, the Jews, he was talking mainly to Jews anyway, they were, um, they identified circumcision with being identified with being God's people. But they also knew there are also scriptures that told them that they were, just because they had been circumcised, that doesn't mean they were all of Israel. Mm -hmm. Because, which is what Paul kind of hits in Romans, that it wasn't the circumcision that made you a child of God, it was it was Christ, it was your faith in Christ that made you a child of God. The circumcision was just an outward sign. But just because you have that outward sign doesn't mean you are of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, or identified with God. But so when, they, when he's telling them to repent and be baptized, it is a, uh, a step of uh, almost like a martyrdom to them. They're, they're going to lead the Jewish faith. That was a big step to do that. And so repent, be saved, get baptized to show what, that you truly repented. Mm -hmm. That's a big step because in those days it could mean you get killed because of that, which the church was being slaughtered just because of making a step and yeah. more so for the Jewish person. I think the... the um the reference that you're uh, pointing to would be in Acts 10. Uh, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed 
because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just the circumcised. Right? Yeah. Yeah. As you say, Luther said, remember your baptism. When we are baptized to Jesus, it's not, oh, life is okay. We have to share his suffering. Mm -hmm. Because I say that from the experience, but it spirit with me. We're going through very unjustice, unfairness. And at the same time, I had a beautiful comfort that Jesus and when people they ask me how do I take it? The Spirit speak to me. If they done it to my Lord, yeah. they're gonna get to me. Am I better than my Lord? Mm -hmm. This how people understand the Lord. If if they have a comfortable life, they won't see the Lord. But they see us how people through his suffering with joy and comfort that he give us. The spirit of comfort, he said, I give it a comfort and comfort you. And with that understanding, we can stand whatever mm -hmm. we comfort in, in confront with. So that's why when remember, oh, I baptized to that thing. Mm -hmm. So gladly, you know, he that made me go to it, he's gonna the same way Jesus went to it willingly, we go willingly. And peacefully, we don't have to defend ourselves. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. We just go. Plus, He went through it. He's His our model. Yeah. I think it's also remembering our baptism can be an in, a, a comfort, so like internally. Um, I'm thinking just from the standpoint of uh, mental health and suffering from depression and things in the past, like. That when when those doubts come in, I mean, who of us hasn't doubted at times? Our, am I really saved? How could God save you? That that outward sign of reminding ourselves of baptism, watching others be baptized, it's that kind of physical, tangible proof that I can look at. Like, even if I don't feel it right now, I can look back at that point in my life and remind myself of I went through this picture so and to have that kind of physical thing to look to hold on to when we're when we don't feel it yeah. because sometimes our feelings lie to us sometimes the devil lies to us what you know whether we can tell if it's Satan or our own internal you know because we live in a sinful world it doesn't matter but that's something that we can hold on to and as we watch others go through and be reminded of what that means and that even when I'm down and not feeling it right just remind myself no I am baptized with Christ I, yeah Absolutely. That physical experience is very passive. It's, uh, I, I didn't baptize, I was right. baptized. That's right. right? Uh, and the receiving the gift, you know, I, I look at that phrase and it's like, is it talking about the gift of tongues? Because other, other parts of scripture talks about receiving the gift. So there's many different, you know, uh, members, but one gift. So, the gift of the Spirit is the Spirit Himself, right? Indwelling us. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked what you were pointing out earlier in Acts 10, where it said, uh, 
who can deny these men? So they were already exhibiting, like yes. it didn't happen in the same chronological order. Right. So that was a that yeah. was nice to see. They were they were baptized after the fact, um, after their regeneration, right? Um, and when when Peter recognized, wait a minute, these guys believe they they know they know the Spirit. They're indwelt with the Spirit just like we are. Um, yeah, let's baptize them. What I really appreciate about witnessing baptisms, particularly how we've typically done it here with people giving testimony, is that it enables you to see the Spirit at work in people's hearts in ways that you might have never guessed. That's right. And it strengthens my resolve and my it encourages me to keep praying because the the Lord is at work in people's hearts and we we don't see it we don't know how he's working in their hearts and we need to just keep praying yeah. that he's going to work in the hearts of those right. we love who have not repented right. and turned to him yeah. it's a picture for us of God's spirit at work that we normally don't right. see. It's also a picture of the corporate nature of our salvation. Um, when we're baptized, we're not just baptized into Christ, we're baptized into a community of believers from all time. We're baptized into the universal church, but that baptism into the universal church is what happens when you're regenerating. The baptism into the local church, that community that you that you live with and serve with, um, and that leads us to think in a different way. It's it's us, not just me. Um, Galatians 3, 23 through 29 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offering, uh, offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then the, uh, I think someone else said it earlier, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. That's from 1 Corinthians 12. So, it is absolutely a corporate thing, as well as being an individual thing, um, and that that remembrance that we that we have of our own baptism, the the watching of the new baptisms, it, it it does something. I don't know about you, but when when I see a baptism service, I, those are like the best services ever, because they. They show so well what God has done. And I walk away 
remembering my baptism, remembering that I am no longer dead in my trespasses and sins. I no longer have to do the things that I used to do. It is a reminder that I belong completely and fully, not just to Christ, but to you as well. And you belong to me, and we all together belong to Christ. Makes me think of the, the hymn or the song, um, When Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, going into all my sin. Mm -hmm. It's whether or not I look up, Christ is there. So for the unbeliever who never looks up, Christ was there. For the believer, Christ was there. We looked up and recognized that through the Spirit's equipping us to, to desire Christ. And um, any, any kind of work that I could possibly do, I know is insufficient because I would have reason to boast. Mm -hmm. I would have a reason to open my mouth. And uh, it makes it abundantly clear in Scripture that every mouth will be shut up, you know. And where is boasting then? Mm -hmm. um, and it's so comforting that we talk about the feelings and how they lie. Uh, regardless of it, it doesn't matter what you feel the truth is Christ is righteousness and that's where I can see striving and know that God or know who, who is God well, with that we're out of time um, would someone like to pray for us Dark. Father, we thank you for uh, your great love for us. We thank you that you uh, have given us these uh, outward uh, signs of a uh, inward reality that we can rejoice in. Uh, so often we uh, ask for signs, and you have very clearly given us uh, these signs as we think about the sacraments of baptism and communion. Uh, the Lord's table, you have given these uh, given. Uh, us these things uh, to see, uh, to kind of taste and see you know, your kindness toward us, your love and grace toward us. Father, I pray as we go into the service that you would just uh, help a uh, heart of worship uh, to well up within us and you know, your congregation. Help us to delight in your word, to delight in you. Help us to hunger and thirst for you. Father, strengthen us as a body. Uh, help us to uh, love one another well, to strengthen one another, uh, to um, be there uh, when our brothers and sisters are hurting, and uh, to allow our brothers and sisters to be there for us when we are hurting. Father, we thank you for uh, this day that you've given us uh, to gather together, and we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.